0: Hi, I'm Connie Loises.
1: And this is Alex Gove.
0: And this is Strictly VC Download. Hello, happy Friday, everyone. I don't even know what the date is today. I think it is the 19th. It is the 19th. We hope you're well and had a wonderful week. We are diving into a few new stories, but also want you to hang on for our interview of the week with a really interesting guy who I have to admit, I learned a lot about by reading a Forbes profile of him. I think maybe on Monday, it's a great story that I recommend reading. The founder about whom I'm speaking is Bill Smith, a successful 36-year-old serial entrepreneur who sold his last company to Target for $550 million. He owned half of the company at the time, by the way, and he sold an even earlier company to the bank holding company Green Dot at age 28, also for a whole lot of money if earlier reports are too believed. He's back now with a three-year-old company that wants to make it possible for people to live anywhere they want, for as long as they want, even as short a period as one. A month. But again, before we get to that interview, we have a few news items for you. Enjoy.
1: As everybody knows, Mark Zuckerberg has bet big on the metaverse, changing Facebook's name to Meta and investing more than $10 billion last year alone on Facebook Reality Labs, its metaverse division tasked with creating AR and VR hardware, software, and content. Thus, observers were understandably underwhelmed on Monday when Zuckerberg posted an utterly bland and soulless screenshot of himself in Horizon Worlds, Meta's Metaverse. As Patricia Hernandez of Kontaku put it, the graphics were comparable to what you'd expect from a children's game like Roblox, not from a multi-billion dollar company's efforts to shape our collective virtual future. After being roasted all week on the internet, Zuckerberg finally responded in an Instagram post today. Meta's CEO said, Major updates to Horizon and Avatar graphics coming soon. He also insisted that the Horizon Worlds screenshot he posted earlier this week was, Pretty basic. It was taken very quickly to celebrate a launch. The graphics in Horizon are capable of much more, and Horizon is improving very quickly. That's great, Mark. But as Mitchell Clark of The Verge points out, why would a company that has invested billions into a product allow such a shoddy digital avatar of its CEO to see the light of day? And, left unanswered, of course, is the question of what one actually does in Horizon Worlds. Perhaps that's why Zuckerberg's subpar avatar attracted so much attention. Flat and lifeless, it seemed to foretell a world in which people mill about in virtual spaces— Searching for something they can never find. Waiting for Godot.
0: Ryan Breslow has had a tumultuous year. It's not slowing him down. Few outside of Breslow's world even knew his name a year ago. Then Bolt, a one-click checkout tech company that evolved from an earlier idea of his, announced $355 million in Series E funding at a reported $11 billion valuation. Suddenly, the startup was on everyone's radar, as was Breslow. The now 28-year-old Miami resident was riding so high that he couldn't help but take a kind of victory lap. Having struggled at one point to win over Silicon Valley investors, he began publishing thoughts on Twitter that most might never dare share publicly, including to call rival Stripe and famed Accelerator Y Combinator, quote, mob bosses that will, quote, pull every power move imaginable to squash competitors. While Breslow found some support for his perspective online, he was also criticized for the comments and poked fun at, including by investors like Mark Andreessen and Gary Tan. And one week later, he stepped down as the CEO of Bolt and became its executive chairman. Breslow, who still owns a major stake in Bolt, told us at the time that the development had nothing to do with his antics, but it was hard to believe his attention-grabbing tweets, which kept coming, weren't rattling Bolt's investors to some degree. Certainly, it's been a rocky road since. In fairness, the entire payments space has been hit hard by the months-long economic downturn, but further funding that was reportedly in the works has not materialized. The company has been accused in the press of inflating its customer metrics and overstating its tech capabilities. By late May, citing changing market conditions, Bolt announced it was laying off roughly one-third of its employees, or 250 people, some of whom had taken out personal loans from the company in order to exercise their stock options. Meanwhile, partnerships that Breslow teased publicly have yet to be announced. Bolt employees are also reportedly frustrated that Breslow sold $10 million worth of shares to investors during that Series E round back in January, when Bolt's board had not allowed them to sell their own holdings. Asked about Bolt's financial health this week, Breslow declined to say much, suggesting we'd be better off talking with the executive who replaced him as CEO back in late January, former Amazon exec Maju Kruvila. But he painted a rosy picture in the meantime.
2: I let Maju be the primary representative to talk about the company. That being said, I can say that the company is in a very strong place financially, probably the best it's ever been.
0: Either way, Breslow is seemingly a man on a mission, a mission to create other new companies and projects. Among these is Love, a startup that ultimately hopes to develop health treatments based on ingredients found in nature and not made in a lab. How it gets there is all a little squishy, but as a starting point, Dreslow told us earlier this week that Love aims to launch a decentralized autonomous organization, or DAO as they're called, where members who will buy Love tokens with Ethereum or another reserve currency can discuss homeopathic and other pharmaceutical alternatives amongst themselves, then vote on which of these should be tested in clinical trials. The DAO will then underwrite the studies. The idea is to take on big drug companies by copying how they work. Basically, here's the vision in Breslow's own words. Today, what love is, is if you ask us what we're doing, it's not
2: one specific thing. We see ourselves as a group dedicated to developing, discovering, and promoting medicines that heal people. And so an idea we had roughly six to nine months ago was the concept of bringing a DAO to medicine. And so that was a newer concept. And that was a breakthrough because we were like, wow, we can use the community to solve some of the biggest problems facing humanity and collaborate and fund medicines that they want to have see the light of day. And so the big focus for love right now is not a specific product. It is a DAO that is going to be a flywheel for the people to develop their own products.
0: While much has yet to be worked out, two investors in Bolt, Human Capital and Mac Venture Capital, don't seem to mind. The pair have already provided Love with $7.5 million in seed funding. It's a testament to their confidence in Breslow, who says a mission like Love appeals to him because after years of seeing back specialists while running Bolt, in the end, it was yoga, meditation, and mental therapy that ultimately resolved his pain. Continuing to tweet and post to Instagram and other social media platforms is also apparently therapeutic for Breslow, who has steadily built an online audience. Indeed, asked if he would walk back those tweets if he could about Y Combinator and Stripe, given the blowback that ensued, he said he wouldn't. After all, he suggested part of his job as the company's founder has always been to raise its profile and, say what you might, he accomplished his goal. I
2: have no regrets. I'm going to continue to be fairly
0: active on social.
2: And I think it's been a net positive in terms of increasing Bolt's awareness. A year ago, most people that I know did not know what Bolt was or is. And now almost everyone does.
1: In June of 2019, Connie talked to Ryan Cohen, the 33-year-old co-founder and CEO of Chewy, an online retailer of pet supplies that he co-founded in 2011 and sold to PetSmart in 2017 for a reported $3.35 billion in cash. Despite steering Chewy to one of the biggest exits in e-commerce history, few people knew who he was. In fact, Connie's first question to Cohen was, Who are you? Times have certainly changed. Today, Cohen, the same man that Business Insider now refers to as the meme stock champion, lit the internet on fire when he abruptly closed a $121 million position in Bed Bath & Beyond today, less than six months after investing. Cohen's exit caused the stock to fall more than 40% today, as investors lost hope that the ex-chewy e-commerce Wunderkind could spark a turnaround in the struggling home goods retailer. The move was so seismic that it caused two meme stocks in completely unrelated businesses, video games retailer GameStock, where Cohen is chairman of the board, and movie theater chain AMC Entertainment to also falter. Both stocks fell more than 9% in early Friday trading. Critics panned Cohen's move as a typical meme stock pump-and-dump. Cohen made at least $60 million on his trade. As Luke Lloyd, wealth advisor and investment strategist at Strategic Wealth Advisors, told Benzinga, Cohen created an option gamma squeeze to pump the stock to unload his position at temporarily higher valuations. Still, don't expect Cohen to shy away from controversy. As he told Connie back in 2019, I have no plans to sit in retirement, that's for sure. I'm 33, I'm competitive, I like consumer businesses, and I like to win. Up next, our interview with Bill Smith of Landing. But first, a word from our sponsor. SASTR Annual 2022 is almost here. 10,000 SAS founders, execs, revenue leaders, and investors will be taking over the Bay Area from September 13th to the 15th. This is your last chance to book your ticket. Strictly VC podcast listeners can use code StrictlyVC to save 20% off tickets before they sell out. Enter STRICTLYVC at checkout on SasterAnnual.com. See you in September.
0: We've never talked before, but I have to say I had read a Forbes piece about you earlier this week, and I was just so fascinated by the piece and kind of impressed by what you've built repeatedly. So we're talking today about your newest company, Landing, which offers people the ability to flexibly rent apartments for as little as one month. These are places that you lease and you furnish with your own landing-made furniture, I think the whole thing is really interesting. And it's certainly topical in light of another big story that was in the news this week, Adam Newman's new startup called Flow. I want to help listeners in part understand what you're building as they start to hear a little bit more about both companies. So first of all, one data point in the Forbes piece that I thought was really interesting was your estimate that perhaps 10% of the 40 million Americans who live in apartments right now could choose furnished, flexible stay homes within a decade. I just wondered, based on what are you coming up with that estimate?
3: It's great to be with you and thank you for having me. So when I started landing in 2019, my belief then and now, especially now, is that a large portion of the current population of people living in apartments, they're going to change the way that they live. The apartment rental process has really been long overdue for a new approach. And when you think about all the other aspects of our lives over the last decade, the way that we live has completely changed. When you think about transportation with Uber and Lyft, when you think about food delivery with DoorDash, Instacart shipped, you can buy cars online, you can buy homes online, but when you think about apartment living, it's generally an offline, pretty old school process. There's not much freedom and flexibility and convenience in the current model. And landing really flips that. So when you think about apartment living, it really should be about convenience and ease. If I want to move to a new city because I took a new job, you should be able to do that. And that's what we created landing to enable. And when I think about the 40 million people that rent today, A large portion of that population are people that are anywhere from 20 to 40 years old and they want this flexibility. And so that's why we believe that at least 10% of that population will transition to this product over the next few years.
0: I love that you let people live in a place for as little as one month, but it also sounds like a bit of a nightmare for you. How can you rationalize the economics of a one month lease?
3: So the way that we make landing work is by focusing on people that want to live with us. And that's a really important distinction because we're not trying to create a vacation brand or a travel business. People that live with landing are sticky and they're committed to this lifestyle and living on our platform. And what that enables us to do is deliver really high occupancy. And if you can deliver high occupancy, you can provide this product at a cost that's accessible to a large number of people, and they stay for a long time. So that helps drive the economics behind the business.
1: How do you screen for people who are your kind of tenant? And also, what is the average length of tenancy to date? When we think about our
3: members, and that's a core distinction, you have to be a member of landing to live in our network. So to start out, you make a six-month commitment. You can live anywhere during that six months, so you might move three times if you want to, but you're committing up front to some period of time
1: to live in our network. And how many tenants do you have right now?
3: We don't share the specific number, but we're in the tens of thousands of members today. And we're up over 100% in the past year alone.
0: And then, Bill, again, to Alex's point, I said they can move as often as they want, acknowledging that this is still a pretty nascent business. How long are they tending to stay in one spot? Right now,
3: people are staying in one location about six months on average.
0: Okay. And they pay $199 a year for the privilege of being a member. What else does membership include?
3: So with a landing membership, you get access to live anywhere in our network. You're going to get the ability to transfer to any other landing with a two-week notice. So you can move anytime you want. You don't have to pay any deposits. So we cover all the deposits. There's no application fees or utility fees or any of that kind of stuff. Everything is covered by landing. And one of the other really cool benefits that our members love is they do get the ability to travel for free within our network. So if you have a home with landing in LA and you want to go to Austin for the weekend, you can do that with landing and it's included in your membership.
1: Who does a tenant contact if they have a problem with their toilet? They call us. They can really just send us a text and let us know that they have an issue and we
3: take
0: care of it for them. That's an interesting question, Alex. I saw that before landing, you tried almost like a thumbtack like business that didn't take off where you're offering home services. Is that still like a, a minor component of landing? I saw that you also have trucks to move the furniture that you buy into homes, but it seems like there would be maybe an opportunity there. Is that getting too far afield to have this home services arm? We
3: stay away from what I called skilled home services. So we do provide services, but they're mainly around cleaning and that type of work. We don't do any type of home repairs or anything like that. Those are all handled by the companies that own the properties that we're located in. But the first company I started, the vision for that was kind of concierge home services for homeowners. And you're right. We tested that for about a month and that was a very fast flop. And we decided to move on from that to what is now landing.
0: Right, Going back to this Forbes article, I'm thinking about services you could possibly provide to members. You're using data right now to understand how to cut your costs in terms of maybe the furniture you're building. You adjust your pricing based on seasonality. You're, of course, using data to figure out where to lease these apartment units in the first place. Can you share a bit more about the kind of data that you're churning through and how you're using it? I'm also curious, for example, how much you glean from your customers once they're inside a unit.
3: I'll give you an example of one of the things that we're looking at. We need to know where people want to live so that we can have supply available for them and ready. And so we're looking at what neighborhoods people are searching in, for example, what time of year they want to live there, how fast they want to move in. We're taking that information and using that to power our supply efforts. We also look at where we're adding distribution centers. So we have distribution centers and our own last mile delivery network. And so we use that data to determine where we make investments on that side of the business and where we're growing. And that moves around throughout the year. So certain times of the year, there might be a lot of demand to move to certain parts of Phoenix. And then other parts of the year, you see a spike in demand in Miami, and we have to have physical items ready to ship in those areas so that people can move in very quickly because generally our members, they're not searching to move two or three months out. They want to move within two weeks and we have to have supply available to them to fill that need. When you think about this category of flexible living, this supply doesn't exist. And when I say supply, apartments that are already furnished, meet our standards and are ready for long-term living, the supply just doesn't exist. And so we're out literally creating that supply real time every day across the country.
1: One of Adam Newman's visions for WeWork was to create a software OS that created a network for users that worked in WeWork properties. And I'm wondering if software development is a big focus of yours. Is there any way in which you are connecting members in landing with each other?
3: So we haven't started there yet from a community perspective, as far as in local communities, where we're really focused, there's a huge technology component of landing. We've built the entire platform that operates our business from end to end in-house. It's everything you see on our site from discovering a home and reserving a home and the experience once you check in and the technology to manage how you access the building. And once you're living there or serving any of your needs, But it's also all the apps that our teams use that are in the field that are providing services. It's the technology that's running our distribution centers and last mile delivery network. So there's a significant amount of technology that we've had to build to run this business. And it's not something you can just buy off the shelf. There's plenty of technology for traditional apartment buildings and managing those properties. But this model is completely different. And so we've built that from scratch, similar to what we'd had to do at Shipped, for example.
0: And then Bill, I just was wondering, to Alex's point about community and members connecting, if there is at some point going to be a focus on creating community spaces for some of these tenants. It just seems to me that in a world where fewer people are going to offices, that could be a a really big draw. And I'm guessing that that's probably part of Adam Newman's plan with his new company flow.
3: Yeah. So we think about community more from a neighborhood level instead of just a property levels. If you think about the typical apartment community, there might be 250 units there. So it's really not a large number of people. And those are going to be a very diverse group of people with unique interests and things like that. So we think about it more on a neighborhood level and building community between people that have chosen to live this lifestyle in a particular part of Miami, for example. And so that's the way we've been approaching this. And it's still very early days for us figuring that out.
0: Sure. And then Bill, I also just wondered it's so interesting to me that your software lists apartment before you even sign a lease with a landlord. Then I guess you find the tenant and once that renter has assigned a lease with you, you sign the lease with the landlord and you furnish the apartment. Is that how it works?
3: Yes. What we've built is the first on-demand model for building out supply this way. And I'll talk you through it quickly, just so you hear it directly from me. The model is we partner with an apartment community, we'll list units on our site, and then we've built the technology and the operational infrastructure to create a landing In just a few days which sounds super simple but it's incredibly complex if you think about everything it takes to furnish set up an entire home from your sofa down to the silverware and we've built the system to create that on-demand model. And that's how we grow. And the key there is there's not enough supply and, and there will not be enough supply probably for a decade or more because this is an emerging category.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the profile of the properties that you are coming in on? It probably can't really be too picky given that there's not a lot of supply, but do you prefer buildings that were built after a particular year, have maybe a more modern aesthetic?
3: It really depends on the neighborhood, what you're going to find. So if we're in an urban core, it's generally going to be a property that's been built in the last 10 years. It's going to have fantastic amenities and the latest finishes and all the things that the modern renter is looking for. But if you look at cities like Dallas or Austin, we're in the suburbs as well. So we're going to have suburban properties. We're in garden style communities. So really what we want to do is have product available in a wide selection of neighborhoods and price points, all with the common link of it's modern and meets landing standards.
0: And the companies that are signing leases, we don't care if you move people in every month or so, your obligation to them is covered.
3: That's right. With the exception of most department communities don't want their units being rented for a few nights. We're not trying to be a hotel. We don't play in that space at all. We're really focused on long-term residents. And the other piece of it is these communities want to make sure we have residents that meet the standards. So there's background checks involved and things so that we can make sure that we maintain safety in the community.
0: And can I ask, are landlords mostly happy that you only want to sign one-year leases? I mean, obviously I understand from your point of view why that's better. You don't want to get locked into these onerous agreements. But at the same time, rental costs keep moving in one direction, seemingly, especially as the housing market tightens. So I'm just wondering how they feel and how that impacts you because this year you could strike a deal that's wonderful and next year it could be much worse.
3: Yeah, I think it depends on the owner and what their goals are. We think the one year model fits better for us. Certainly we could go and try to do multi year deals and things like that. But I think it's better to have very little lease liability in the company. And that's the way we've built landing. We would be the antithesis of the WeWork model where we have very little lease liability and we can flex as there's changes in the markets. And I think what you'll see with landing over time is we've built a platform to serve the flexible living channel, this new demand. And over time, we will partner with owners to bring this product to their building. And it really won't be a landing leased product. They'll just join the landing platform. They'll operate using our technology and our standards. And it won't be this model of landing leases it and is committed to that lease.
0: So it becomes a little bit less of a consumer-facing product and more of an enterprise product.
3: Well, it's both. It's a two-sided marketplace. That's what we're building. So we serve apartment owners and we're driving demand of their property and we're helping them meet this need that's growing so fast and it's not really their core model. And from the consumer side, we've created a great consistent experience that they can trust. So we're really serving both sides.
1: I think it's fascinating that landing makes its own furniture in Vietnam and ships it over to the US and then you send this furniture to different apartments around the US was this always a part of your model? It was
3: actually. So when I started landing within the first month, I traveled over to Asia and I spent time meeting factories and really understanding how the furniture business worked. I identified that because we have a need to consume a significant amount of furniture It needs to have our look and feel, and it also needs to have the quality and durability that makes sense for this type of business. You can't really go and buy this type of furniture at your local retailer. Furniture that's designed for the typical consumer that you'd buy on some website is generally pretty low quality and it's designed to be thrown away after a year or two and that doesn't really work for our model so we need product that has our look and feel but also is high quality and and we determined early on that we needed to build out that capability in-house and really vertically integrate that entire side of the business and so today we have have a team that designs and manages manufacturers and then we've built our own distribution center network and last mile delivery
0: So interesting. I know that at some point, and you probably know this, but WeWork was also working on building its own furniture. I don't know how far it got along, and I have no idea today if it does the same thing, but I remember being surprised when I learned that as well. How many employees do you have?
3: We are a little over 600 today.
0: And you started this company three years ago? Yes, Wow. So, Bill, you have substantial experience with investors and acquirers. I, I see in Forbes that you still own one third of landing and that you owned 50% of shipped when it's sold to Target. I'm just curious how you think about working with investors and the upside and, and downside of taking on VC.
3: I think about everything from a very long-term perspective. And I really like to partner with people and in- build very deep, long-term relationships. When you look at the cap table of shipped and the cap table of landing, pretty much every investor in ship is also an investor in landing. And my goal is to deliver a great return and and my interests are aligned. I invest my own capital in all of my businesses. I've done that with landing. And I I found that me having a significant amount of my own skin in the game has been really helpful and my investors really appreciate it.
1: Bill, is it true that you have 15 million in this deal? Yes.
0: And also, just out of curiosity, I think I read, maybe you were joking around that if you had raised more last year, that your company would be a unicorn company. This company could probably have been assigned any valuation you wanted last year based on your past experience. <laughs> I don't know if listeners will know this, but before shipped, when you were 28, you sold a different company that offered what preloaded Visa cards or reloadable Visa cards to Green Dot. That's right. So just as an aside, can you talk about how much Green Dot paid for that company?
3: Maybe you didn't couple fitness things
0: Okay, But either way, I'm sure there are a lot of people who want to be in the Bill Smith business. Were you turning away investors? I'm also curious if despite your success as an entrepreneur, the fact that you're based in Alabama and not in Silicon Valley or LA or New York made a difference here.
3: When I started Shipped, it was really challenging to raise capital for that company in the early days because I had never raised VC before. The company I sold to Green Dot, I raised basically capital from friends and family and didn't have to raise a lot of capital actually. So Shipped was the first time I raised. Venture And I moved to San Francisco during that time. My move to San Francisco was what led to creating Landing because I experienced all the headaches of setting up a new home in a new city. It took time for me to really build relationships and really learn how that community worked. But with Landing, I had the experience and had contacts and it was a pretty smooth process raising capital for Landing.
0: And then just to be clear, this is a big, complicated business that you make seem easy to your customer. You've got these trucks, you've got this furniture business, you've got all the software that you're developing. What can you share about your roadmap for the next 12 months? What other arms will be maybe bigger than they are today? Will you have a new business line? So
3: Right now we're focused on scaling landing. And, And I think where you'll see us build more is by powering other owners of buildings to serve this market. This is going to be a massive category and a lot of people are going to want to participate in the space. And so we plan to continue to serve that by building tools to power that for other property owners.
0: And will they have a separate membership situation with you?
3: From a consumer perspective, we want to deliver a consistent experience, no matter what model we're working with the property under.
0: But the property owners would presumably still be paying for you to be a lead generation arm for them. I'm just wondering if there's a SaaS business here.
3: I think a a SaaS component would probably be the best way to describe it.
0: Yeah.
1: I read that your estimate is that you will do $200 in revenue this year, and you're looking to do a billion in revenue by 2025 can you talk a little bit about your gross margin and what goes into that?
3: We have not talked a lot about that. I can tell you that we are gross margin positive today and have been for quite a while. We haven't talked probably just about the components or specific numbers.
1: Bill, Airbnb has expressed interest in the long term stay market and it's a formidable company. Are they one of the competitors out there that you're keeping an eye on?
3: Look, Airbnb is a great company, their DNA is travel. And our DNA is living. So we're really focused on building the platform for consumers to live on. And that's a very different business from
0: travel. Bill, I know you probably have to get going. Just a couple of last questions. In terms of marketing this product, like you said, there's a lot of people who would appreciate a more flexible living situation, traveling nurses, I think you mentioned. How are you marketing this product and and where?
3: Yeah, so a lot of our members are acquired through referral. We see a significant number of people just sharing landing with friends, and we drive a lot of our traffic that way. And then this typical brand marketing and other performance marketing channels, and all of our members are joining us directly on our site, So we don't rely on third-party platforms to drive our traffic.
0: Okay, And also, if you will forgive me for continuing to ask about WeWork, I'm sure it gets annoying after a point, but you started this company as that company was going through its darkest hour. And I just wondered, as a student of the space, what lessons you learned from that company? You mentioned leases, for example, instead of buying these hard assets. What else are you avoiding? What are you doing differently?
3: We work in landing are such different businesses. I mean, we office versus residential is just a totally different category in the way it works. But I think the key that I learned really not directly from WeWork, but just generally is the unit economics of the business are critical. And every business, I think when I think about the early days of any company, you're trying to figure out the unit economics. But on this one in particular, we had to master the unit economics really fast. Mm-hmm. We didn't have five or six years. To prove that out, like a lot of other, other consumer businesses did. And, and I think that's because people saw we work and saw all the challenges there. So we had to prove the unit economics of our business much earlier than we would have otherwise.
0: Right. Which seems like it's obviously serving you as it's an advantage now. I also just wondered, you've sold your last two companies. Is this the one that you want to take public eventually, or is it too soon to ask you what the end game is here?
3: Well, it's really early. We're only three years in, but what I can tell you is when I started landing Having sold a couple of businesses, my perspective changed after selling Ship. Ship was a great exit and really from a liquidity perspective, just was a game changer. And so I wanted to start a business that I could see myself building for multiple decades and just build a massive, enduring, independent company and so that's how we've approached it i don't know if that means that we're a public company or at some point or not we'll have to see what the future holds but i just don't really have interest in selling another company because it's so challenging to find an idea that really works and can be massive and gains traction i feel really fortunate to have found another business that we're seeing that kind of traction and certainly has an incredible amount of potential so I want to see this one through.
0: Bill, thank you so much. I have to say, it's been fun learning more about you. I love this detail in Forbes that for your fifth birthday, you asked for a briefcase. (laughs) I used to tote around. I know you've got young children. Do you see any of them express an interest in being business people when they grow up?
3: My son is all about business. He's nine (laughs) and he is way ahead of where I was at his age. And he is very interested in business. So we'll see how that plays out over the next few years.
0: That's super cute. Great. Well, anyway, Bill, thank you again. Really appreciate your time. Wish you continued success and we will keep an eye out on what's happening with the landing.
3: Yeah. Thank you for the time. And if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out. I'll be happy to help you help.
0: Definitely will. Thank you so much again.
3: Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: That's it. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. A special thanks to this week's sponsor, Saster. Have a great weekend, and we will see you here next week.